Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we'll wrap up our month-long 90th anniversary celebration by listening to some fascinating voices of the past. We have audio from Harry Ironside, Mel Trotter, Peter Marshall, and others. So let's listen in and learn from these voices of Southwest Radio Ministries past. The contradictory chronicle of human events accents one simple truth. There have not been great periods in the history of civilization, only the lives and reflections of great men. Proof of the axiom can be found in the history of Christian evangelism in the lives and the words of the men who led the crusade. Through their faith and tireless zeal, the evangelists of Christ have shaped and reshaped the destiny of many nations, particularly in our own America during the last hundred years. Most of these men are no longer here. Their voices are stilled. But the power and reflected influence of their inspired message can never die. They are yesterday's voices, recorded in faith for all eternity. Historians of religious life in America during the last ten decades have noted the marked individualism of our evangelical leaders. Each man was different. No two were alike. The only characteristics they possessed in common were sincerity, love of Christ, and a boundless enthusiasm for winning souls. An outstanding example was Dr. Henry, better known as Harry, Ironside. Born in Toronto, Canada in 1876, Harry lost his father at the age of two. When he was ten, his mother moved the family to Los Angeles, California. Harry read the Bible through at least once a year from the age of eight and was converted at the age of 14. He began preaching immediately. He became known as the Boy Preacher of Los Angeles. After six years of the Salvation Army, he joined the Plymouth Brethren. For 34 years, he crossed Canada and the United States preaching and speaking at Bible conferences. In 1930, he began his only pastorate at Moody Bible Memorial Church in Chicago and felt that every encounter with his fellow man, no matter how casual, was an opportunity for Christian conversion. And he demonstrated this truth through real-life experiences of his own. When the train pulled in, I walked through the uh, day coach, and I found there was just a half of one seat vacant, and a man was sleeping on the other half. So I sat down there. I was very much exercised in my soul. I felt there must have been some reason why God had allowed me to miss that train. I believed implicitly, as I still believe, that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. And so I felt that he had someone on that train with whom he wished me to speak. I wondered if it could be the sleeping man beside me. I say sleeping, but the fact is that he roused himself just as I sat down. And he greeted me, and uh, we exchanged a few words, and then were silent for a time. And finally, he woke completely up, and we began to talk together. And all the time I was praying, Lord, if thou hast something for this man, may I not miss the opportunity, but give me just the right message for him. Finally, as we talked along, I put the question straight to him. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? He roused himself up and uh, said to me, it's a remarkable thing that you should ask me that question. He said, you know, sir, I've been so anxious about this matter of salvation for some days that I've been working in a lumber mill down in the southern part of the state and uh, some folks were having revival meetings nearby and I went over to the services and uh, I was quite impressed by the preaching and uh, felt that I was a sinner and needed a savior and night after night I went out to the mourners bench. 
I could talk with someone who could make the way of salvation plain. Well, of course, it was a delight to take out my Bible and turn from passage to passage and show that young man just how he might find peace with God. And uh, finally, as we turn to some of the great salvation verses of the New Testament, the light broke upon his soul, and he said, Oh, I see it, yes, Christ died for me. And if I trust him as my Savior, then uh, the matter is settled. I said, yes, that's it. Well, he said, I do trust him. I can take him now. And we bowed our heads together, and he thanked God for his saving grace, and I thanked him for giving me the privilege of being his messenger to that earnest young man. Why am I telling you this story? Well, just for this reason. I'm wondering if it might not reach someone who, like that young man, is asking, how may I be saved? I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is deeply interested in you. He's longing to see you saved. And he says, him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. And if you will but come to him in all simplicity and trust him now as your Savior, you too may say, thank God, I know now that Christ died for me. On a rain-swept morning, January 1889, a transatlantic ship from England docked in New York Harbor. One of the passengers, a stocky young man with a swarthy complexion, piercing black eyes, and a shock of dark hair, was visiting America for the first time. There were no reporters, no church dignitaries, no welcoming committees to greet him that day because Gypsy Smith was unknown in New York, or almost anywhere else for that matter. Yet within a short space of one year, countless thousands of people in mission houses, churches, and tabernacles from Boston to San Francisco had thrilled to his trenchant sermons and gospel singing. The name Gypsy Smith became almost as common as Uncle Sam. When that initial visit was over, he went back to his native England. But during the next two decades, Gypsy Smith returned to tour the United States many times. Born in a gypsy tent in the parish of Wanstead near Epping Forest, not far from Leytonstone, England, Rodney Smith received no education, hence did not then even learn to read or write. The family made a living by selling baskets, tinware, and clothes pegs. His mother died of smallpox when Rodney was a small boy, and the father became a Christian when Rodney was in his early teens. When 15, he too accepted Christ. About two years later, he joined William Booth's Christian Mission. He was a powerful speaker and an inspired singer. One of our staff members, Mr. Stanley Price, heard Gypsy Smith in a three-week evangelistic series in the summer of 1937 or 1938 in Waco, Texas. One of the stories that the well-known evangelist related about himself was as follows. As a little boy, he would peddle clothespins from house to house that were made by the gypsies in their camps. In one home, the lady of the house asked him if he were saved, and the lad gave her his testimony. She said, Now that you are a Christian, do you have a Bible? No, he answered. Would you like to have one? Oh, yes, I would love to have a Bible, he responded. The good lady gave the young gypsy boy his first Bible. On the way back to the gypsy camp, the boy stopped in a plowed field. He put his new Bible down on the soft earth and knelt beside it. And this is the prayer he prayed. Father, you know I can't read. I can't read your word to me. But please fill me with the spirit of it. And now his living voice is part of yesterday. But its recorded echo is with us still. I can hear my say. 
The birth of a baby boy in Clay County, North Carolina, in 1867, made little note on history, but that boy grew up to be a man that made an impact on religious history. In 1897, George Washington Truett entered the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas with 700 members and continued in the same church until his death 47 years later, leaving the congregation with a membership of 7,800. He combined a warm and vibrant personality with scholarly evangelism. Revered, respected, and honored during his lifetime, Dr. George W. Truett's compelling voice continues his deathless ministry through countless recorded sermons. Here is an excerpt from one of these. Now to go against him means that you're not succeeding, that you're not succeeding. What is success? Success is recognizing the will of God and trying to do it the best you can. He doesn't succeed who forgets that. He may have a bank full of gold. He doesn't succeed who forgets that. Success. Your success is the phantasm of success. The sarcasm of success. Utter futility. Defeat. If you're leaving the Lord out of your plans. He wants to be your master. And then he says, I'll turn your life into a great triumph scene. If you're in the world 40 or 50 years or up to 70 or 80 or even reach the century mark, I'll make the flowers to bloom in your path. I'll make the music to echo in your ears. I'll make your heart to join in the glorious chorus of music to the effect that God's grace, and grace is sufficient for you. And then when the time comes for you to pass from the earthly sphere to the land beyond, I'll be there at the depot of death waiting for you, and I'll convoy you myself. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
You need to be afraid about when or where or how you'll go. The automobile may get you, the wreck may get you, the illness may get you, but remember, whenever the time comes, I'll be at the depot for you, and I myself will convoy your cross, and there'll be no trouble. And then in the land beyond, when all are assembled before the bar of Christ for final reckoning, I'll be there to take the place and to make the defense for everyone who's put his trust in me. I used to be when a lad frightened well nigh to death at the thought of that judgment day of our Lord. As he sits upon his throne and before him shall be gathered all nations and we shall make our account one by one to that great and omniscient judge. I used to be terrorized beyond words. No more of that now. I put my case in my attorney's hands. My attorney is Christ. If any man sin, we have an advocate, an attorney, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I put the case in his hands. Manage it, I can't manage it. Take care of me, I can't take care of myself. Save me, I can't save myself. Keep me, I can't keep myself. And he answers back, I'll forgive and I'll save and I'll guide and I'll keep and I'll be with you living and I'll take care of you dying, and I'll take care of, care of you at the judgment. And then we live together forever in the house of life above. Oh, this wonderful, wonderful heritage we have in Christ. The acceptance of Jesus Christ as personal Savior is an experience that comes to different men in different ways. One snowbound night during the winter of 1897, in the slums of Chicago, a human derelict named Mel Trotter stumbled into the Pacific Garden Mission. Trotter was so drunk that he didn't know his name or where he was. Fortunately, the mission director knew exactly what to do. First, black coffee, a hot bath, clean clothes, and sleep. The recovery process took three days. At the end of that time, Mel Trotter, resentful and cold sober, prepared to resist the preaching accusations he thought were coming. But he was due for a surprise. There was no preaching or criticism. The mission director merely invited him to stay there as long as he liked. Trotter was dumbfounded, but within a week, by silent example, not by words, he had renounced his former life and had become a Christian. That was the beginning of Mel Trotter the Evangelist. He had a great passion to help the men of Skid Rose and became an outstanding evangelist among them. Within his lifetime, Mr. Trotter founded more than 67 city missions from Boston to San Francisco. One of his favorite sermon themes was Christ's Forgiveness for he himself was living proof that God will blot out all our sins. Verses 23 and 24 says, Thou hast not brought me, brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings, neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast brought me no sweet cane for money. You know, that's candy, don't you? Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money, Neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices, but thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquity. And yet he the text, I, even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and I'll not remember your sins. Just to think, there is no prayer, no offerings, and no worship. Wearied him, no sacrifices, and yet he said, I'll forgive you. I blot out your transgressions. I do it for mine own sake, and I'll not remember thy sins. 
Now, if you wanted a real outline on this, I, I think this is one that you can never forget. And the way you can use it is the, and get it is the way I got it. I got it when I heard a man use it once. They're blotted out from God's book. Second, they're blotted out with God's hand. Third, they're blotted out for his sake. Fourth, my sins are blotted out for his, from his memory. You see, that's great and cheering. Take it from God's book. Now, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you today that uh, God keeps books like I used to think what he did when I was a boy. I used to think that every good thing I did would be put down and every bad thing I did would be put down. And then when I got ready to die, they'd add up the good ones and add up the bad ones and subtract the difference. And if I'd done more evil than good, I'd go to heaven. And if I did more good, uh, more evil than good, I'd perish. And if I did it the other way, I'd go to heaven and so on. Well, now, I know that isn't so. And yet, I tell you, God keeps books. God knows you. And God knows even the thought and the intent of the heart. A boy in Chicago confessed to the, a friend of his the killing of his father and mother. Old Mike Shack over in the North Ave in the Chicago Avenue, the East Chicago Avenue station, had a 15-minute dictaphone, four of them in a room. And when he told his sweetheart how he'd killed his father and mother and where he'd buried that money, they come back the next Tuesday when he pled not guilty, and they set that thing a-going, and he heard his own voice. His own words convicted him. And then there on the table was that tin box where he'd with the money in it, where he told his friend, uh, that lovely girl, that Christian girl that loved him, and you know, sir, she, he, they confronted him with the very box that they found where he had told this girl they were. You know, the funny thing about it, if, if Edison can do that, don't you think that God can do it? Every word, even the idle word. Now, science proves that. Dr. Chapman said to me one time in Winona, would you like to hear Sam Hadley sing? Why, I grinned at him. Sam had been dead six years. And yet he went and got out one of those old Edison cylinder phonographs, old scratchy thing. But he unwrapped, the, uh, uh, unwrapped it and put it on that thing. And I heard old Sam Hadley singing, Oh, it is wonderful, very, very wonderful. Yet he'd been dead six years. Why, you know, the funny thing about it, God keeps records as well as Edison can do it. It's the sin of your youth, the feeling, the anger, the thing that you know to be wrong. It's like soft cement 30 years ago when Homer Hammondtree down at Maryville uh, marked his name in, in that stuff. It's still there. I saw it uh, because it was put in soft cement. Now, if that is so, there's nothing but eternal punishment ahead of me. You see, but there's hope. There's hope in this text. I even, I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and I'll not remember your sin. You see, it's a commercial term. I'm in debt, and he paid my debt. It's a chemical term, like an ink eradicator. He blotted them out. You see, judgment has gone ahead. My, my, that's a comfort to me. A God's book, yes, but thank God the whole thing's been blotted out. Few ministers of the gospel have left so indelible a mark in the hearts and minds of a nation as a man called Peter. Peter Marshall, a Scotsman born in 1902 in Coatbridge, Scotland, studied at the Coatbridge Technical School and Mining College at Columbia Theological Seminary, Decatur, Georgia. He held pastorates in Covington, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, and Washington, D.C. On January 4, 1947, he was made chaplain of the United States Senate by appointment of the Republican majority. As pastor of the New York Avenue Church in Washington, D.C., his sermons were quoted in every state of the Union. When he served as chaplain of the United States Senate, contemporary senators always made it a point to be on hand 
on time for his inspiring invocation. In January of 1949, his untimely death was mourned throughout the world. But the essence of Peter Marshall's ministry remains in all or any one of Peter Marshall's recorded sermons. At the beginning of the war, there were two notable examples. You may remember the foundering of the Athenia and the loss of the city of Benares off the west coast of Africa. And at that time, one of the popular songs was, as you may remember, the beer barrel polka. And we read, incredible as it seems, we read of survivors struggling in the water, crouched, wet and shivering in lifeboats, singing together, roll out the barrel and we'll have a barrel of fun. One might wonder at the choice of a song. One might be aghast at the prospect of facing eternity to the strains of the beer barrel polka, but there is nevertheless something thrilling about the spirit that can sing at such a time even although what they sing seems inane and strangely inappropriate. I have often thought what a startling contrast to another maritime disaster, which some of you will remember, in May 1912, when the Titanic went down. I was a very little boy then, but I can well remember the special editions of the papers and the magazines with their heavy black borders describing the loss of this magnificent new ship which men said could never sink. This floating palace was in collision with a floating mountain of ice. And icy knives ripped open a hull that was claimed to be unsinkable. And when the orchestra, which a few minutes before had been playing Strauss waltzes in the ballroom, gathered on the boat deck, and when the male passengers stood alongside to the cry women and children first, loading lifeboats as many as could be lowered away. They waited patiently, hoping that there might be a chance of rescue, and then, when it appeared that none was likely, the orchestra began to play, and they began to sing. But what did they sing? They sang, Nearer, my God, to thee, nearer to thee. Now, when you contrast that with roll out the barrel and we'll have a barrel of fun. You can see what has happened to a nation's faith. You can see what has happened to the faith of people in 30 years, can't you? Facing eternity to the strains of the beer barrel polka. And yet the Stoic has always inspired us. Heroism in the face of difficulty has put backbone into many a man. So that if the oyster were to say, I'll never give in, I'll fight it out on this line. Though I'm bleeding and sore, yet I will never surrender. I must remember that the darkest hour is just before the dawn. I'll hang on. I say that's noble, it's thrilling, it's fine, it's magnificent, but it does not adequately deal with the problem. The grain of sand is still there. As a matter of fact, the oyster does none of these things because the oyster is at one and the same time a realist and an idealist. And you can be both. You must be both in times like these. You must be a realist and an idealist. And the Christian can be and must be both. The oyster knows with the profound wisdom that God gives to the humblest of his creatures.
that nothing is accomplished by rebellion against hard reality. The oyster knows that you can't deny a bleeding, stabbing pain in your side. You can't deny blood. The oyster knows that no amount of stoicism can ever make life comfortable again once a grain of sand has entered your shell. So what does the oyster do? The oyster begins carefully and patiently with infinite skill to deposit upon the quartz a milky substance, which upon its sandy base is spun and wrapped in nature's magic to make of the grain of sand that for which divers are willing to risk their lives, a pearl, a thing of beauty and hidden light, smooth and warm, wondrous beauty wrapped around trouble. Now let us then learn from the oyster. For life is a difficult game and these are trying times. We have not yet begun to pay the cost of the war. There may be some in this very place, some within sound of my voice, who will be called upon to make the supreme sacrifice. There may be some who will be called upon to make a great renunciation, to lay upon the altar of patriotism that which they cherish most. There may be parents whose hearts have already begun to feel the pang of a separation that might last until the end of the trail, because blue stars are turning into gold. Troubles may come that we know not of. Pain may come to us and grief, for many horrible things are possible and many horrible things are yet to happen. But if the blow should fall, it will not crush us nor lay us low. For remember, Ezekiel did not set himself upon his feet. He did not pull upon his own bootstraps to rise from dead horizontals. No, the Spirit of God raised him up. The Spirit of God entered into him. The Spirit of God came to him and changed him. So too may the Spirit of God come to you and to me. So too may the Spirit of God enter into your heart and mine. So too may you and I be changed and God knows we need to be changed. It's truly an exciting time here at Southwest Radio Ministries. Earlier this month, it was announced that we have been given a $1 million matching gift opportunity. That means every dollar that you give is matched. It's doubled. All this month, we've been celebrating our 90th anniversary. And this matching gift is a way to ensure SWRC is here for many years to come. Friends, would you consider giving toward this special match? You can help us continue to meet the mission and double your impact when you give today. You can show your support several different ways. First, by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can give online, supportswrc.com. That's supportswrc.com. All gifts go toward the $1 million match. Call today, 1-800-652-1144. Or visit supportswrc.com. The response since announcing this special matching gift has been amazing. Will you stand with Watchmen on the Wall and make an eternal impact today? Support SWRC.com or 1-800-652-1144. Lord willing, we'll be back here Monday ready to once again bring clarity to the chaos. Head into the weekend with the encouragement that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years 
by faithful listeners just like you. Visit swrc.com.